Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that has been in digital. So I know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital and I hope that this podcast will help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and I also discuss key topics in the industry. This week it's actually going to be a summary of the last two weeks news. It's a bumper episode because I was on holiday last week and as a result there isn't any kind of beginner's guide or industry section at the end because I wanted to keep it short and sweet. Uh, So it's just straight news. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded the podcast. Do subscribe and leave a review keep sending me feedback. I really do want this to be your podcast so you can tweet me at LTD, or you can email kate at katehamer.com with feedback, with questions, with topics you want me to cover or just a hello, whatever you want. So let's get cracking. As I said, it's a bumper episode so we'll get straight into it. Starting with social media and Facebook. Social Bakers released some stats this week, no most of them really, but Facebook's got 1.65 billion monthly active users, 1.09 billion of those are logging in daily and 1.51 billion log in from mobile. So mobile is really key for all of these platforms in terms of the way that you think about your content and the stuff that you produce. In terms of other updates for Facebook, so I talked a few weeks ago about Facebook Live starting to do two-person broadcasts and it sounds like that's going to roll out from this week. Initially it will be available to public figures and it will be using the Facebook Mentions app on iOS via their verified profile or page. Both accounts will have to be verified and both will have to use the Mentions app Um, So it it looks like it's going to take a while to get rolled out to everyone, but some people should have it this week. So hopefully we'll start to see some um, news about how that's working and some stats on it. The other piece of news for Facebook is around LifeStage, which is their new attempt at beating Snapchat, really. So they've launched a new app called LifeStage, which targets teenagers And the difference between previous attempts that they've had to try and combat Snapchat is that this one has actually been created by a teen. So a guy called Michael Saman, who's 19 and is on the staff at Facebook as a product manager. He's uh, been developing apps since he was 13 or something. So it's uh, a new app. It's available on iOS. It's video centric and it targets high school students. So any student at any US high school can sign up for the service. It's totally separate from Facebook accounts. But any given school has to have 20 students sign up and make profiles in order for them to interact with each other. And the difference is it really is video centric. So rather than just having a profile photo, you actually do a whole series of faces that you pull in terms of selfies and it creates a bit of a video bio 
Um, you can record videos to show what you like and dislike, who your friends are, your pets, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc. And the purpose of that is that Samen feels none of the existing social platforms, whether that's Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, do a good job at conveying someone's personality beyond their kind of profile image and their bio. So LifeStage has these profiles which are comprised of a series of selfies and videos that depict everything from music you're interested in, favourite activities, and then you connect with your classmates, you can browse their profiles, you can go through their collection of photos and videos. There's kind of ratings in terms of how up-to-date profiles are that are done by emoji. You can also see numbers next to usernames that show how much of their profile they've filled out. And one of the big things is that there are no messaging features or one-to-one -one interactions. So users can add a reach me note to their account where they put their Snapchat or their Instagram or a messaging app so that people can message them that way. There are some thoughts that that's quite a cynical approach from Facebook in that it will give Facebook a lot of information about where this younger generation that they're trying to engage with actually is in terms of other social platforms and maybe that data could be useful for them in the future but maybe they're genuinely just using that as a way for people to communicate we shall see in terms of 360 videos on facebook they've given more development features for users uploading them so that it's easier to refine your content so there's now you can now guide viewers through videos by highlighting specific points of interest in the field of view. The video can automatically pan around to points of interest when it reaches a certain moment. And a heat map will show developers where the greater volume of users is looking. So then they can um, use that to learn more about activating these points of interest. And on Facebook's blog, they said they've had more than a quarter of a million 360 videos uploaded to Facebook so far. And they want to help um, publishers and creators better engage their audiences. So that's why they've done those developments. I mentioned, I think, last week or maybe the week before that there was a test happening with the Olympics in Canada and Brazil with Masquerade where the Facebook app would open with the camera on to encourage people to use the masquerade functionality to have some Olympic content on there. There's now a video that shows how that's working, so that's on the companion page on katehamer.com for this episode, so you can have a look at that. Still staying with the Facebook business, but moving on to Instagram. Stories continues to do well, so this is the the sort of variation on a theme of what Snapchat offer in terms of images that only stay there for 24 hours and you can have a whole series of them. Quite interesting to see that a lot of publishers have dived straight into using them. So in the past when new developments have come out on social platforms, sometimes brands and publishers have been quite slow to embrace them. But I think probably because this follows in the footsteps of Snapchat, people have really got on board with it straight away. And publishers like Cosmopolitan, Time Inc, New York Times are reporting really strong viewer figures compared to videos and photos that they would just put on the standard platform. Another development on Instagram reported by the Washington Post this week is more moderation control for brands and personalities. So 
they are allowing accounts with high volume comment threads to filter comment streams, even turn off comments completely if they want to. They already let accounts with a high volume of comments have a, a basic profanity filter and block out words or phrases that were commonly reported as offensive. But with this new feature, you'll actually be able to program in words and terms that are perhaps going to affect that brand or personality on an individual basis. So it's currently rolled out to verified accounts, so some celebrities and some brands, but expected to roll out to the whole community soon. The only thing I would say if you get the opportunity, if it's rolled out to your pages, is I wouldn't turn comments off unless you really feel you need to. I think it's, uh, you know, the, the whole point of these platforms is that it's a place to engage with your consumers and so to not allow them to comment at all is not great. And I think same with comments, as I'd say about reviews on a website, it's actually a good thing sometimes to have some negative ones on there because it makes your positive ones stronger. So if someone's saying something negative that's like they don't like a particular product or something, but it's valid and it's not um, inappropriate in any way in terms of language, then I would leave those negative comments. I wouldn't delete everything. On to Snapchat, seeing as uh, everybody seems to be copying it in the first segments that I've done. So Snapchat have bought a company called Verb, V-U-R-B, or they're in the closing stages of purchasing it uh, for $110 million, which is reportedly 75% stock and 25% cash. And they're also retaining the founder and CEO, Bobby Lowe of Verb. So Verb is a company that won a startup competition a couple of years ago with its take on mobile search. So rather than kind of scrolling through endless pages it's more of a card based interface that pulls information from partners like Yelp or Rotten Tomatoes which means that you could check out movies, find a cinema to watch one in, find a restaurant nearby and all of these pieces of information you can then send to your friends through one of your messenger apps and it's just a more kind of collaborative decision making process. It can also offer personalised recommendations so although it's not really clear how Snapchat is going to use Verb what the the word on the street seems to be that it could be a really good purchase for Snapchat in terms of improving the way that people can use the platform to discover things so Snapchat is often uh, criticised for having quite a confusing interface and when people first start to use it it's not massively intuitive you can't really work out what you're trying to do and one of its big things that it doesn't do very well is help you discover accounts to follow so verb having worked on this whole discovery engine for the last couple of years could be really interesting for snapchat in that respect there's been some reports of snapchat and the olympics so again i talked about their preferred partners that they were working with on their different ads and within the first seven days of the Olympics they'd had almost 50 million viewers watch coverage of an event within the app. So this data is from the Financial Times uh, which reveals that one in three of Snapchat's 150 million daily users has viewed an Olympics clip within the live stories section of the app. 
So their partnerships are with people like NBC and BuzzFeed. They're obviously working with people like Walmart and Dick Sporting Goods from a brand perspective. And although no figures have come out from Facebook and Twitter yet, eMarketer has forecast they think there'll be 2.85 billion video streams of Olympics action viewed during the Games. So a huge opportunity for all of the different platforms in terms of their video content, but Snapchat seems to be doing particularly well. They have also, at Snapchat, released a new 360-degree video ad format, and they're trialling it with Sony Pictures, promoting a new horror movie called Don't Breathe. And one of the, the different things about it, so it's a 10-second Snapchat video ad, but you can swipe up then to see a 360-degree version of the trailer, and the difference with it is rather than just kind of spinning 360 degrees with your phone and going around it, you can also go forward to go further into this video. So that's a bit of a, a difference. On to Pinterest. So some news on Pinterest is that they're going to start displaying video ads on the platform. And this is really exciting for brands. So they've got 100 million monthly active users on Pinterest. But you're kind of at a point where people are more likely to convert on there because they're curating their boards all about their life events, whether that's getting married, moving house, interior design, that kind of thing. And so by having video ads that are going to be promoted videos linked to pins where people can then obviously click through and buy means that you're really in a good position with your advertising there. And I think the other thing is, Obviously, it's very keyword-based in terms of the way that people search the platform and what they're looking for. So just like search is sort of meeting people halfway and responding to a pull for advertising rather than just pushing some ads out, it's very much the same within Pinterest. A few things on Twitter. So they've launched a new monthly TV, uh, well, Periscope show called Pint and a Periscope where each month they're going to interview someone from the creative industry about how they use the platform, how they use Periscope. This month, the first one was with David Levin from That Lot. Uh, shout out to That Lot, good friends of mine. It's uh, the social creative agency, so check them out if you haven't heard of them. And watch the Periscope. There's a link to it on the companion page. A couple of news items were announced in the Periscope as well. There's a new Twitter awards that you can enter on twitterawards.com. It's all around paid um, activity that's happened on the platform. There's various different categories. It's a global awards program and the deadline is the 23rd of September. So check that out if you think your agency or brand could be entered into it. And the other piece of news is that soon everybody will be able to create their own moments. So you'll have seen moments during the Olympics, for example, where they're curated pieces of content that you can scroll through and sort of catch up on the latest thing. And soon everyone will be able to create their own moments, which in a way will be remarkably like Snapchat stories and Instagram stories in terms of taking you on a journey through something but they won't disappear after 24 hours like those two do. A few other things on Twitter. They've introduced a quality filter, which in the words of Twitter, quality filtering aims to remove all tweets from your notifications timeline that contain threats, offensive or abusive language, duplicate content, 
or a scent from suspicious accounts. So you can switch it on in your settings and you can also select to only get notifications from people you follow too. Some people are saying that is this actually a good thing because if you're really getting some threatening stuff then don't you need to see what that is so that you can know to protect yourself. Uh, but more than that people are kind of questioning that if you're going like this and almost locking down interaction then actually Twitter is perhaps moving away from being a social platform. It's not really a two-way conversation place if celebrities and brands are going to start locking down their quality filter. And interestingly, the Twitter app has already been recategorized as a news app in both the Google Play and the App Store. So perhaps they are really moving away and more being about news and live streaming. There's a, a little GIF illustrating how the quality filter works on the companion page as well. I read an interesting study on Twitter's own blog around TV targeting on Twitter. So they've partnered with Starcom, the media agency, and Canvas, which is a social TV analytics company. And they've done a study to look at emotions within social media content and how programming influences people's emotions. So the three takeouts from it were that firstly, high, there's higher ad recall for TV shows that elicit emotional reactions as measured by Twitter. So when a high percentage of tweets about a TV programme contain emotional reactions, viewers are 48% more likely to recall an ad than those who watch programmes that have a lower reaction rate. I guess if people are more invested in the show, they're probably paying more attention to everything around it as well. So target in terms of your advertising TV programmes that are going to elicit that emotional response so that you can really make sure that you get the best bang for your buck. Secondly, higher TV ad recall for viewers who use Twitter while watching TV. So if whether people are either actively tweeting or they're just following along, they're 62% more likely to recall the brands which advertise during the programme over people who weren't on Twitter. So their tip here is to sync your TV ad campaigns with promoted tweets to reinforce your message. And I have seen that quite a bit through the Olympics with Samsung when their ads have been on TV. I've quite quickly seen a promoted post as well. And they say that TV ads running concurrent Twitter ad campaigns get an average 9% lift in ad recall compared to not running a promoted tweet. And then thirdly, passionate viewers are more likely to buy. So people who are tweeting things like love and excited around a particular program are much more likely to purchase the brand either now or in the future. So 61% of these emotionally reactive people said they were likely to purchase. So again, all about the emotions advice that Twitter gives is linking your creative to show content as it unfolds so perhaps if there's voting in the TV shows that you're looking at or cliffhangers or if it's a sporting event in the final minutes of a game they're all great opportunities to spark a bit of conversation and the full study of that is on the companion page as well. Talked about Twitter stickers a few weeks ago I think at the time when they launched I suspected that there might be an opportunity for brands to promote them in future and sure enough they are now launching promoted stickers 
Pepsi are the first people to run a campaign with them. So they are doing 50 custom stickers across 10 markets. The UK isn't one of them actually. So the markets are Argentina, Canada, Egypt, India, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Spain, United Arab Emirates and the US. And it's part of their Pepsi Moji campaign. So people will be able to use a branded sticker, post it on any photo that they upload. And then when people see that photo and they click on the sticker, they'll see all of the photos that have used that sticker. So it is like a visual hashtag and a way to collect lots of content together. And if brands are interested in doing these promoted stickers, for the moment you need to speak to your account team at Twitter to try that out. Again, there's an example of it on the companion page on katehamer.com. A couple of other things on Twitter. So there's a rumour that Twitter's in talks with Apple to bring a Twitter app to Apple TV. So that could potentially mean that the streaming that they're doing of things like the NFL could then be viewed on Apple TV, which would obviously be huge in terms of the audience that they would add on. There is already a Periscope app on Apple TV that just shows curated content, but I don't think that's worked so well, but perhaps that was a bit of a blueprint and a forerunner for them to get a full-on Twitter app on there. And the only other thing is on Vine, you're now able to switch between two different accounts. So it's taken a while to come, but obviously Instagram did it recently as well. So now if you've got your personal Vine account and maybe a business one, you can switch between the two in the app. You don't have to log out and log in again. YouTube, a few updates from YouTube. I don't think we've talked about them for a while, which this uh, section in itself will discuss really, but... Last week they reopened their YouTube space London, which it, they've refurbed their state-of-the-art production studio that's available to any creators who've got more than 10,000 subscribers and they can go there and film videos in virtual reality, 360 degrees, there's soundproof rooms, there's editing suites, it's all free of charge. Um, they've got nine of these spaces around the world, but this is the biggest one in Europe. And it's really to nurture their talent. So obviously the the platform's growth to over a billion users has been completely down to YouTube creators and the sort of content that they've had on there. But they're starting to find that perhaps they've not got the same brand affinity with younger generations. So it's not necessarily the first place that people go to on their mobile in the younger generation. And obviously content creators are being attracted to other platforms so Twitter's video ad platform Amplify offers creators 70% of the revenue Facebook has been paying people to come over to do Facebook live videos just by the fact that YouTube videos now are not the sort of videos that you would load onto Twitter and Facebook you know you actually get a much better result by loading your video into the native Facebook and Twitter videos so that they're showing in people's feeds, all of that means that YouTube has perhaps become a bit less important for marketers within their campaigns. And so having this YouTube production facility should be a real attraction to creators. They're also starting to buy films and TV shows from this talent for YouTube Red, which is a subscription service. They're rolling out new 
features, for example, streaming live from the app. So lots of attempts to keep people on YouTube. And I think, you know, it's not going to go away. I think people are starting to become smarter in terms of using other social platforms to drive traffic to their YouTube channel. But I think YouTube's still got a big part to play. Google themselves are continuing to sort of uh, remove some of their older properties. So Hangouts on Air is going from the 12th of September and that's a definite hard deadline that any Google Plus events that are scheduled after the 12th of September will need to move on to YouTube Live. So that's going to be where they'll encourage people to do live streaming now. Hangouts on Air are gone. And Speaking video calling, which obviously Hangouts still does do on a kind of one-to-one -one basis. Last week, Google launched a new video calling service called Duo. So it's an app that you can download and it's for video calls. So it supports video calls between two people and that's really everything that it does. So it's available on Android and on iOS. You put a phone number, give the app access to your address book. Uh, it's not connected to your existing Gmail account or Google account, so you'll have to get your friend to download the app as well. Uh, it's got a couple of nice features, so Wi-Fi, if you're on Wi-Fi and then you go out to cellular data, it's not going to drop a call, which is great. And there's also this knock-knock feature where someone can send you a little video before they call, so you can see who it is before you answer. So that's quite cool. And then the final thing for Google, just a bit of fun, they've done an alternative medal table for the Olympics. So when you first go onto this website, it shows the medal standings based purely on the events that have happened. But then you can change it by population, GDP, sports fan searches in Google to see who's more of a sports fan, healthy eating searches in Google, and then it keeps changing the standings. GB tend to be between second and fourth on any of them, actually. So we've done pretty well. Just some final little updates on great things that I've seen from brands in the last couple of weeks. So you might have seen NHS Give Blood's Missing Type campaign, where various brands and people, their names are missing the A's, the B's and the O's to illustrate the three types of blood that the NHS need people to donate. So... Summer is quite a quiet time for blood donations. People are obviously off on holiday or they've just come back from exotic places and so can't give blood. And so this is to encourage people to donate. I've put a link on the companion page. Everybody should make an appointment and go and donate. I am going next week for my sixth time. I have come to it quite late in life on account of being a complete wimp. But it actually isn't bad and I have timed it being a data geek and I can give a pint of blood in about six and a half minutes so it's really no time at all. They have crinkle cut crisps and they have great biscuits afterwards so check out the link on the companion page. Let me know if you give blood. Send me a picture. I'll give you a big shout out because we would all want blood if we needed it. So I figure just give a pint and feel proud. That is the end of my public service announcement. Few other things. Cadbury's are continuing to push their hashtag tastes like this feels. 
they did a competition run over two days where they were offering people the opportunity to get a visual interpretation of their tweet back. So one of the examples was someone saying it feels like getting a hole in one and they'd done this little video of someone getting a hole in one with the golf ball bouncing from tree to tree. But when you look at the hashtag, there's still hardly anything on it in terms of people really choosing to use that hashtag. And that's what I was saying in the hashtag feature that I did recently. You've really got to think, will people choose to use this hashtag? Does it make sense for them? A few things on messaging bots. So Domino's have started at Dom the Pizza Bot on Facebook Messenger. So you have to already be set up to be able to order a pizza through Facebook Messenger. So you can't just order whatever you want. You go onto their website, set up your sort of favourite order, but then you can do it entirely through Facebook Messenger to order a pizza and get it delivered to you. And there is also, I've seen an ad on Twitter this week for a charity water bot where you can either give a one-off donation or sign up for a monthly donation all through Facebook Messenger as well. There's some examples of those on the Companions page as well. A few things on the Olympics. I absolutely loved Innocent's post that they did where they had got the dressage horse to a Kanye West soundtrack. It's brilliant. Check it out on the Companion page. And the New York Times did a really cool thing where they'd got a GIF where you had to try and start faster than Usain Bolt does. So it basically goes like ready, set, go, and then you have to hit the button on the GIF and you can't be as fast as him. So that's quite a cool little thing. Jumping on the back of obviously his uh, gold medal wins. Nice piece of social media usage from Adele this week. She had to cancel a show because she'd got a cold and her voice wasn't any good. And she filmed a little video to her fans, like no makeup, clearly looking ill. Uh, but great way to have that kind of close relationship with the fans. Very apologetic about having to cancel, but at least people could see that she was in no fit state to do the show. So I thought that was really good use of social media. Nationwide have been doing some stuff on Snapchat, which I thought was worth saying because obviously Nationwide aren't necessarily a very sexy brand, but they've got a student bank account that they wanted to promote. So on the 18th of August, when the A-level results came out, they had a location-focused geofilter and also a sponsored lens. So people could use these to celebrate getting their A-level results. There was one where when you open your mouth... A party popper goes off and then a geo filter that had a confetti style overlay on it that said A-Levels smashed it. So well done Nationwide for embracing a good platform where your target audience is and doing something a bit cool. Uh, Virgin are doing a promoted post on Twitter at the moment asking people if they're a brand expert. It's quite a cool little quiz. What I like about the quiz is it's multiple guess but when you select... The answer not only does it tell you which one is correct but it also tells you the percentages that people have answered so you can see where loads of people have got the wrong answer which I found quite interesting and it seems to be promoting their kind of entrepreneurial section of their website where there's lots of information about branding and logos and stuff so again there's links to that on the companion page. Charlotte Tilbury has launched a virtual reality or augmented reality no probably virtual reality 
advert for a new fragrance scent of a dream which stars Kate Moss and it's a two minute long video that again it's embedded on my website but if you watch it through Samsung gear or Google Cardboard then you can really be kind of taken into this experience and go through all these different wormholes which represent emotional pathways that connect us all. So check that out, it's quite cool for something a bit different in terms of a fragrance advert. And finally, Nike have created a pop-up running stadium in Manila in the Philippines that allows people to race themselves. So it's in the shape of a lunar epic trainer, shaped like the sole of the shoe, 200 foot long track. Basically, you run it once and that time is logged and then you rerun the track and you race against yourselves via a projection on LED screens and they can have 30 runners at once and they're tracking total distance and all the data across the 17 days that the track is open for but again quite a cool way to launch a shoe and do something a bit different and they're actually going to get a load of data from it that will probably fuel their wider advertising campaigns for that shoe. Bit of a longer show this week and all news. I hope you're all still with me. I hope that you found it useful. Do let me know by tweeting at LTD or emailing kate at katehamer.com and I will be back next week, back to the usual format of the show. Might even try and get a guest on. Don't hold me to it because Sunday comes around so fast every week, but I will try and I will be back next week. Have a great week. Thank you.